from MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, is out this week. But we have plenty to talk about today because we're talking about your favorite or maybe it's your least favorite reptile, snakes. How do you know if a snake is venomous or not? What if you do if someone around you is bitten? What should you do when you see a snake in your backyard? And have you ever thought about having one as a pet? We'll have Ted Olak from the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science here to help answer those and your snake questions. Give us a call this morning. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 or email the show animals at mpbonline.org. This is Creature Comforts from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Also, uh, today we're going to be talking about your favorite, or sometimes maybe not so favorite reptile, snakes. How do you know if a snake is venomous or not? What do you do if someone around you is bitten? What should you do if you see a snake in your backyard? Have you ever thought about having a snake for a pet? We have Ted Olak from the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science in studio with us today. He's going to answer those and all of your snake questions. So give us a call this morning. The number is one mpb ring It's one 672 You can send an email. It's animals at mpbonline.org. So with pet questions and snake questions on the line, I think it's going to be busy. So if you'd like to uh, join the conversation, uh, the earlier the better. And if uh, the lines are busy, keep going. Uh, we'll be plowing through these calls as fast as we can. I always like to remind you that uh, if you ever miss Creature Comforts on Thursday, it repeats Saturday mornings at 6. So good morning. Hope everyone is doing well this morning. Good, good morning. morning. So... Um, we are uh, having snakes in the studio because, Libby, one of the big events for the museum every year, I went one year and it was a huge crowd and a lot of folks are interested, I think because you either like or extremely dislike snakes, but Snake Day is coming up. Snake Day is coming up Tuesday, May the 6th. 10 o'clock to June 3 o'clock. I mean, June the 6th. Excuse <laughs> me. Yes. Yes. That's right. It's, today is June the 6th. That's right. That's right. Uh, so um, this coming Tuesday... And uh, lots of fun. Uh, Ted and I were just talking. Um, there'll, there'll be programs, big programs in the theater about snakes done by Terry Vandevender at mm-hmm. 10 o'clock and 12 o'clock. In between those times, there will be a lot of snakes for you to see. We don't have an exact head count because I think the, the, the museum staff just knocks themselves out every year. They're, what, about 42, 43? Mm-hmm. 42. Th- Pretty active, we say mm-hmm. active species. There are a few rare things that have been seen very occasionally in the state, but but of those forty-two, we will have many of them on display. M- more snakes than you usually see at the museum, and you get to get a little bit more up close. They're all on display 
at once. And um, but now I guess I will stress they're gone at three o'clock. Okay. So don't, so get don't come early. in at two forty-five. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When we say it closes at three. Uh, because th- that's kind of stressful for the snakes to be on display for very long. So mm-hmm. 10 o'clock to 3 o'clock is long enough, and then they'll all go back into their dark places. That's so right. it's a good time <laughs> to go see them. And if I remember correctly, there'll, there'll be snakes maybe ranging from the size of like a pencil up to something longer than your arm, I guess. Yeah, that's but, another fun thing. Mm-hmm. That's, that's correct. We're going to have everything from our eastern indigo snake, which is the largest non-venomous species in North America. And then we're going to have uh, the, some of the smaller ones like rough green snakes, which you barely ever see. That's the voice of Ted Olak, a biologist with the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, who is our guest this morning. Ted, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit about your background. Were you, as a kid, interested in snakes? Uh, What what led you to to your work? Well, pretty much if it uh, slithered, creeped, or crawled, I loved it when I was a little (laughs) kid. So it's always been a passion of mine. My first job was at a vet clinic, being in uh, the kennels, and I've just always loved animal husbandry. So... Uh, reptiles I kind of picked up closer towards college, and uh, I didn't have my first pet until I graduated my undergraduate, but now I have nine, and they're my passion. <laughs> and we have a snake in studio. If you would uh, like to see the snake as we talk about it and uh, talk about the show, uh, we are on Facebook Live, so you could check that out and see the video. Ellie is here doing that for us. Um, so um, what uh, what sort of snake do you have there? So right now we have a juvenile corn snake out. It's one of the most common ones you'll see around, especially in your garden. Uh, Low-hanging bushes, uh, tree litter. They love mice. Uh, They're extremely common. Uh, We love to have them because without them, we'd have a lot more uh, critters crawling around in our attics and things of that nature. So if you see one of these guys, uh, it's really important to leave them be. Um, We do have different colorations. Uh, This one in particular a lot of times gets misinterpreted as a... uh, Copperhead, just because of its reddish and brown colorations. So it's always a good, uh, definitely log on and to the Facebook Live and take a look and just be able to see the difference between the two. And about how long would you say he is? Or we don't know if it's a he. We don't know if it's a he or a she. Yeah, you got to get really personal to know uh, the sex of these animals. So we don't ask and uh, they don't tell. But um, he's about two foot and change. Uh, max length would probably be anywhere between, you know, five-ish and change. Uh, mm-hmm. just depends if it's a male or a female. Generally, females are always going to be larger because they're the ones carrying the young. Uh, males are going to be a little bit smaller. And if I remember from last, uh, we usually have a snake in studio with us on uh, promoting Snake Day, and I always remember the little tongue that slitters out there. What what is what are they doing when they they're sticking their tongue out like that? So they're doing a combination of smell and tasting. Uh, snakes, uh, the way they see the world is their vision is really based on movement. Uh, they don't have an outer ear; they have an inner ear connected to their lower jaw. Uh, so you can you know yell at snakes all day long; they won't going to hear you. Um, but that tongue's really important because if there's not a lot of light, they can actually track scents. So they're basically figuring out who's all here and what's going on by flickering that tongue, and that's normal. Um, if a tongue is flickering at an average pace, that is actually a happy snake. That means he's in a good mood. So right now he's just hanging out. He's not all coiled up. He's not mm-hmm. showing any kind of defense. He's very loose. He actually loves being on my arm. Uh, snakes are cold-blooded, of course, so they need to absorb warmth. Um, being that we create our own body heat, we run pretty hot, and they love it. So holding him, he's actually gaining belly heat from me. So he actually enjoys it. All right. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, we've got some open phone lines for you if you want to ask about snakes or if you have a pet question for us. And the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven. 672-7464. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Let's start on the phones. Joanne has called in from Jackson today. Good morning, Joanne. 
Yeah, you're on the air. Go ahead. Okay, hello. Uh, I had a question about a squirrel. Uh, about a year ago, the, my neighbors told me there was a baby squirrel at the end of a big tree. The neighbor's cat had killed its brother or sister, and I brought it out home, and it had maggot eggs all over it, and I got those off, and I bottled it. It, it, it had its eyes open its, and fur, but didn't have any teeth. And I've got it in a big cage now. What I need to know is I don't think he's going to be happy there the rest of his life, and I want to kind of reintroduce him to the outside. And I want to know the best way to go about it. Okay. Um, you need to get some expert advice from people that do this. Okay. Uh, he, you're right. He does not need to just stay in a cage. So no. thank you for not not doing that. But uh, if you'll call the Museum of Natural Science and ask for a local rehabber, they'll give you somebody that's got experience with squirrels, and they can help you with all that, okay? Well, let me tell you this, too. My yard uh-huh. is very snake-friendly. I've got a corn snake, and we had a big old yellow speckled king snake for a while, but somebody ran over it. Oh. And they keep the rats and mice in, in balance, and they are native. The one thing I do want to say, I've also got five cats. I keep my cats inside because cats are not native, and they're an invasive species, and hence mm-hmm. that's why we've got the squirrel. So if folks would just keep their cuddly killers inside, it would be good. <laughs> yes, Thank, you. Thank you. I will Thank call you. that squirrel. Thank where you. where yes. do you have the squirrel right now? Where do I have it now? I've got a really big cage by and it's in our breakfast room by a window. And it is, they, squirrels can recognize and tell one person the other, and it knows exactly where in the cage I'm going to feed it. And it likes to be, I found out they like to be held and rubbed. So evidently they're way more social than maybe we think they are. But sure. I just, I'm just trying to figure out how to reintroduce him without him just jump, you know, one of the things, successful right. at it. <laughs> one of the things that has helped, and of course as a vet clinic we are called upon to rescue baby squirrels, and we have people that will take them and feed them, et cetera. Reintroducing them or introducing them to outside, I would suggest have a, a cage or a pen large enough that you can put outside, uh, and gradually, after a few days or a week, start opening the cage, keep food out there for the squirrel, but let him kind of venture out on his own. One of the real problems is that sometimes squirrels are quite territorial, and other squirrels may, uh, you know, try to fight with him or run him off. So, but that has helped in a lot of cases. A lot of people see their squirrel every so often. He'll come down, take food, whatever. But that's the best way is to introduce him outside. All right, uh, Joanne, we appreciate your call. Uh, let's uh, do this. Let's take a quick break. When we get back, we've got some callers lined up, but we also have some open phone lines. So if you have a question about your pet or question for Ted Olak, our resident snake expert uh, on creature comforts this morning, give us a call. The number is one mpb ring Our phone number is one 672 We'll be back with more creature comforts after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. All 
Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. We're visiting this week with uh, Ted Olak, a biologist at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Ted is our resident snake expert for the day because coming up on Tuesday, June 6th, am I got the right date? It is Snake Day at the museum, a big event. Uh, If you are someone who uh, likes snakes, and I would say even if someone, you or your family, uh, are someone that might be a little bit afraid of snakes, this might be a good event to go to because I think you learn more about snakes and um, get a chance to see them as up close as you'd like. Uh, But it's always a popular thing at the museum, uh, and that's so why we're talking about snakes this morning. Bubby, did you have something? Well, Ted just wrote us a note with his other hand because he's (laughs) holding a snake with one that says, uh, at first I thought, God, this is like a third grade writing. (laughs) It says, Catfish and Kids, June the 3rd at Turcotte Lab. Ah, okay. So, you know, usually Karen comes on the show before that, and we just didn't have a chance this time to get her on. But Catfish and Kids will be June the 3rd at Turcotte fish lab so if you usually do that if you don't know about it call the museum and you can get all kinds of details yeah that's always another popular yeah. uh, event so i <clears throat> got some phone calls but ted you you brought out a new friend with us another snake so if yes. you could tell us which one you have now so this is another very common one you'll see in your backyard this is the gray rat snake this actually is an uh, a much smaller adolescent um, they can get much larger than this upwards of six and change six foot and change um, another awesome guy to have around your house because, as the name says, the rat, rat snake, that's his favorite and one of our least favorites. So we want to have him around. Um, very easily recognizable. Uh, the pattern, the yellow can change a little bit as they get older. They'll get a little darker, but mostly they're going to stay the same. Uh, he seems to be a little bit more active than the corn snake was, so is he just kind of checking? And again, sorry, I'm saying right. he, but we don't know the, the gender <laughs> of the snakes. Uh, just checking out the surroundings, seeing what's going on, I guess? Yeah, so um, this is actually his first field trip. Okay. Um, this is a wild-caught little baby neonate, uh, so we've been working with him for a while as far as hand training, just to get him uh, ready to be an education snake so little kids can pet him. Um, and he's doing great. As you can tell, he's, you know, pretty relaxed and he just kind of wants to see what's going on Mm -hmm. um so yeah no he's a little more active because you know he this is all new to him this is the first probably time he's ever smelled the inside of a media room (laughs) (laughs) all right uh, we've got some phone calls to get to let's start again in tupelo aaron is on the line good morning aaron go ahead hey um thank you um i had came on uh talk uh asked a question on the show years back and I and I was told never to kill the the good snakes mm-hmm. in the area because they they'll be replaced by the bad snakes and it always stuck with them. And last year I, I I started getting chickens, you know, it's a hobby, and I almost put my hand off into the coop one time to get the eggs, and I looked back and it, like, something told me not to do it. And um, I looked down and it was a uh, I guess it what you'll call a chicken snake. Yes. So a chick and, snake is usually uh, a nickname for a, a corn snake. Okay. So um, so I, I didn't, you know, I, he, he got away. You know, he left away. Mm-hmm. So what happened past two weeks, uh, they've been d- cutting down uh, trees around my house. So um, we, uh, I was, one of the construction guys had already wounded one of the, the snakes that had came over there in the coop. And, you know, I... It hurt my heart, but I had to go ahead and kill it because, you know, he had already bruised it up. And mm. so, and um, later on that week, 
now the next week they had killed one they did this by themselves which was the same type of snake and like uh last week uh i was uh coming in from the house and and a lady told me that she had ran over a snake that was coming you know that was coming into my yard and when i went out there to check what kind of snake it was it was a copperhead Mm. so um what I did was I just sprayed the whole house. I mean, I sprayed all around the house, everywhere with diesel, you know, and I really didn't want to do it because, you know, I figured, but that's the way I can get it away because I'm about ready to run away from my own house <laughs> with all that diesel around there. And that's all I, that's all I ever heard, diesel and mothballs. But Right. Well, I can go ahead and tell you right now that uh, diesel and mothballs aren't going to do anything. Um, it, there's a lot of common myths that keep these, that, you know, like snake away and all these other different types of ideas to keep them away. The, really the only thing that you're going to do is just change the habitat around your house to make it less likely for them to be there. As you're saying, if people are killing a lot of non-venomous snakes around the area due to construction, you probably just have a lot of movement going on just because of all that construction area. You're, there's a lot of homes being disturbed for reptiles and other animals, so that's probably why you're seeing more movement than usual. Um, now, is it necessarily, did that copperhead come because the non-venomous were killed? I can't give you a yes or no answer on that because, you know, king snakes, speckled king snakes are really the only ones that predate against other snakes. Um, but it is, you know, a kind of a resource thing. So, you know, if there's a lot of resources and not competition for the the, or the copperhead to eat, you know, rats around or mice around your area, he's going to stick around. Um, if there's high competition with a lot of rat snakes and coarse snakes around, more than likely he's going to go somewhere else just because it's going to be easier hunting. Does that answer your questions? Yeah, I was really trying to protect my chickens, so what, what do I do? Do I get rid of them? Or? No, you want to keep them around because uh, what that, what's uh, attracting those uh, rat snakes, corn snakes, and the, the like um, is mice that are attracted to what you are feeding your chickens and the hay and everything. So the reason they're there is because the, way, the what you're using to take care of your chicken coop is attracting mice and rodents. All right, Aaron, thanks for that call. Um, <clears throat> there are some things I guess you can do around your house uh, if you want to try to uh, keep snakes away. Uh, it has a lot to do with uh, identifying the habitat they like and getting rid of that. One thing I think I remember is maybe keeping grass cut low. Mm -hmm. What are some other things? So lawn maintenance is important. Um, if you have a lot of ground cover next to your house, try to have at least a foot and a half buffer zone between that ground cover and your house. If you've got a lot of large evergreen bushes, try to cut them up at least two or three inches from the ground. Um, snakes don't like to be exposed. So low-cut grass, you know, bushes with plenty of room underneath them, things of that nature, um, beds that aren't kept overly high with pine straw and leaf litter, all of those things are going to discourage snakes from coming up to your house. If there's exposure to the sky, that pretty much means they can get eaten, so they don't want to be there. And if you can kind of fortify your chicken coop. So that <laughs> mice and rats are not as likely to get in that, that, that really helps too. Because mm -hmm. if you're attracting their mm -hmm. food, you're attracting them. So. Outdoor pets are another yeah. big thing. Uh, cats and dogs, I mean, yeah, you know, cats are natural killers. But at the same time, outdoor food, like cat food and dog food, will attract rodents into your garage. Therefore, you can end up with a snake in your garage. So just go down a checklist of everything you think a mice might like. And then basically, if you stop that, you're going to stop the snakes. All right. We've got some more calls to get to. Next on the line, we have Barbara, who's called in from Alabama today. Good morning, Barbara. Well, good morning. Go ahead. Uh, I'm, I'm really close to the Mississippi line, so I get to hear you. I had two questions, and one uh, really got to me. 
I came home one day and I see a snake right on the cement part where I parked the car, and that snake went under my house or into the into under the house. You know, we have like these air vents. Mm-hmm. So I was concerned about that. Do I need to worry? Or is it, it going to come in my house? And the other thing is, one day we found a very large snake out in our yard, and he, he definitely was a rattler. My neighbor said they always come in pairs. Is that true? And is the other one around someplace? Thank you. All right. Thanks, Barbara, for the call. So, uh, rat- rattlesnakes, do they travel in pairs? I can neither confirm or deny that. Okay. But I would probably. No, normally, snakes are very uh, solidarity animals. They want to be by themselves. They usually don't hang around. Even when they're born, you know, they straight off into the wilderness. You know, they usually don't. Unless they're going to be during mating period, they normally don't come in pairs. And I guess our first question was uh, snakes, uh, what was it, coming oh, in? in the outdoor vents and things of that nature. So, um, you know, your attic and things of that nature are always going to have exposed, po- exposed ports to the outside. Um, normally, those aren't connected to your inside. Um, I wouldn't go around shoving and plugging up holes into your house. You might be doing something to your HVAC system. But uh, that's one of those things that I wouldn't put too much worry into it. Okay. But you know what? You can put screen over. We do that with ours. Be sure, yeah, if there's a big opening that something can get in, put screen over it. And you can you can get um hardware cloth or something that's heavy duty so Mm -hmm. that you can keep them out. Yeah, I've done that actually, I think uh, on a a a place under my house that had a hole and uh plugged it up that way. It's very effective. Uh and and so that'll help uh, keep the critters out that you don't want coming Mm -hmm. in. Yeah, we found recently a little chipmunk that had found a way to push through an air conditioner (laughs) vent and uh, there, it's adorable. My husband doesn't think it's adorable anymore because it really did some damage to the air conditioning vent. So. Ah, our friend Rich from Gulfport. Hadn't heard from him in a while. Rich, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hello. I, uh, this neighbor has a couple of pythons, and she feeds them rodents. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's disgusting, but I called animal control. And they said it was legal. But my main question is, I heard cats and dogs and other animals don't have belly buttons. And I was wondering, then uh, one of them said they have relictual belly buttons that grow over. Uh, not like humans have belly buttons. And I was wondering, what are belly buttons for anyway? Good, good question, Rich. Uh, basically, <laughs> it's the attachment where the... Uh, uh, baby, if you will, whether it's a human or puppy or kittens, receives nourishment uh, from while they're in the womb. The, uh, dogs and cats do have a belly button. Uh, it's not as pronounced as humans, and it's not indented usually. Uh, in fact, very rarely would it be indented. Sometimes it pooches out just a little bit. But there is, if you want to call it a belly button, but basically it's the umbilicus. And, uh, yes, dogs and cats do do have those. And they're they're quite a bit furrier than we are. I think might explain bothering <laughs> more if they're not so obvious. Right. Thank you, Rich. All right. Good call. Let's uh, go next. We've got um, Leron in Past Christian. Good morning. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Um, I think you guys might have partially answered my question uh, with one of the earlier calls um, regarding habitat. So I have, uh, and to get to my question, I have a pond that I'm erecting, it's going to be an above-ground pond in my backyard. And I'm wondering if it will attract, I guess, rodents. Well, at first I thought 
will it attract snakes because it's a water source. But once you guys mentioned, you know, what might be attracting rodents and as a food source to the snakes, that might then attract the snakes. Would that be the case? Yeah, so outdoor ponds or any type of lakes, things of that nature can attract uh, snakes uh, regardless if there's uh, food items or not just because it's a water source. Um, I will say that, though, if you, as long as you keep it pruned around there, um, if you're adding fish, um, that's going to attract other animals, which can attract water snakes. Um, and th- So if you're just going to be having it as a water feature, uh, just making sure that water's, you know, using the correct chemicals to keep it clear and everything and keeping the bio load low and just having it being water will discourage a majority of things, um, especially if it's chlorinated by any means or if you're going to use any um, other type of water softeners, usually those deter animals. Um, but, yeah, just making sure that I mean, if you put a lot of ferns around it and just go crazy with the plants and try to make it a naturalistic environment, it's going to be just that. So it's just how you design the, the, the layout around it and how you treat that water. Got it. All right. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thanks for the call, Ron. Let's get one more call in before the next break, and it'll go to Joe in Tippa County. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. I have a question. <clears throat> for about a week and a half, I've had a cardinal sitting on my uh, elm limb right outside my study window, and every half a minute nearly it'll fly into that window. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm wondering if I get a rubber snake and either hang it in the window or on the limb, would that think that would discourage him, or what? how could I get rid of him? Yeah, that's one thing that can help. Um, uh, and it, it's best if you can put it outside of the window right where he's he's coming. Uh, sometimes a, a, a like a, you can even tear a picture of a person, a large facial picture, put it right up to the window. That sometimes discourages him. What he's seeing is a reflection of the cardinal yeah. and those male cardinals. Well, yeah, I've had a trouble with the female cardinal, too. They're very territorial. If the nest is close by, particularly, they get very territorial and just, you know, beat themselves to death in the window. And yeah, it is half minute nearly, he just bangs right into mm-hmm. Yeah, it drives you nuts. I had that problem, too. And uh, mine was a female cardinal. But if I, in fact, I even had to kind of change the pictures every now and then. <laughs> but if, so I would try either a rubber snake or a picture in the window. I picture in the window, he'll quit. Does he quit when you get your face close to the window? Do it, yeah, mimic that, and it might help. Maybe a cat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe a cat. No, I've seen. towel on the inside the window, thinking that might change the reflection or something but that didn't help at all yeah i've seen bluebirds do that as well uh they'll uh think there's an aggressor in their territory and they will fight at the window we've had little warblers just going nuts on the uh, rear view mirrors of the car hmm. the side mirrors and uh finally a friend of mine he was having the same trouble just put washcloths over all the windows all of the uh, mirrors for a while they're nuts. Yeah. All right, uh, Joe, thanks for the call. And I'll, I'll say that with this face made for radio, I think that could be a sideline for me. I could go and sell my picture to people and uh, scare, <laughs> scaring away the birds. Uh, we need to take a quick break. When we get back, we've got some folks on the line, but we've got some open phone lines as well. So if you have a snake question or a pet question, give us a call today at one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven. 672-7464. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio.
podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. And welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Uh, our guest today is Ted Olak from the uh, Museum of Natural Science, a biologist there. Uh, we're talking snakes because next Tuesday, June 6th, it is Snake Day at the museum, always a popular event. Um, I've got now, this was what, was this a, tell me again, this is a rat snake? Yes, great All rat right. snake. And so he's uh, he is he's obviously it's a new part of the studio because he's very active. Again, <laughs> we talked about his little tongue going out there. He's uh, sampling things, making sure he understands where his uh, surroundings are. That's correct. You know, I think I noticed that they coil a lot. Is that again a, a body heat sort of thing, or I noticed you know they wrap themselves around? And I know Libby and I were talking before the, we went on the air. I think it was last year. One of the snakes actually wrapped itself around the um, the microphone. So. Is that just preserving body heat? It's actually that's a security issue. So uh, snakes, obviously, you know, if they fall, they can't catch themselves. Uh, so they use that tail or their body to coil around things as an anchor. Um, a lot of times, if I'm handling my pets or even uh, the ones at the museum, they'll usually find a belt loop or a finger or something of that nature to grab a hold on, just so they know in case their body slips, they're going to have that as a you know last resort. <laughs> And so, um, are there any things I should or should not be doing when I'm handling him? He's, You're like doing said, well. You're doing okay. great. Uh, the, I mean, the main thing is you don't want to obviously shove your hand directly in front of his face, um, but you, you know, leading your hands, letting him kind of sleek through it is perfect. Um, snakes, obviously, I mean, that one is kind of semi-arboreal. Um, you know, they they do climb trees quite often, so he feels comfortable when he's in the air. Um, any snakes that are mostly terrestrial, you want to support their bodies, kind of their mid middle section of them, just to give them a little more security. So as long as you have a good steady hand in between them, uh, the midsection, and you're leading with your hand with his head, he's perfectly happy. All right, very good. Yeah, and like I said, he's, we mentioned he's a, a newbie, so he's really uh, doing a lot of exploring there. He's not a, a grizzled veteran like some of the other right. ones for and Snake I, Day. And I will mention when uh, snake handling, you know, that's we've done it before here in the studio but uh this guy you know you never actually pinch or grab when you're holding a snake you're more or less just bouncing and holding him in your hands it wouldn't be you're not trying to control his movement um any pet snake even if they are used to people if you squeeze and try to control their movements it will scare them and another thing that's uh that i remembered again from the first time i went to snake day is the their skin is very it's smooth, the, the scale. Yes, so. it's very leathery. Um, you know, if they've been sunning, it's, I mean, to me, it feels like a purse. They're not slimy. They're not gross by any means. Um, they do have different types of scales depending on the snake. Um, if it's got a high keel, they'll feel a little rougher. If it's kind of a lower keel, it's going to feel very smooth. Um, but honestly, I think they, they feel quite nice. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, we've got some more phone calls to get to. We start again in Collins. Frank has called in today. Good morning, Frank. Good morning. I have a border collie that lives to go tearing through the woods, and I feel like it's just a matter of time before he encounters a snake. Is that something I have to be concerned about, and what should I do if he does get bit? Well, a lot of it depends on where the snake gets bitten, and certainly if you're talking about a poison snake. Uh, and, you know, the most common snake bite that I see is probably from a cottonmouth, a moccasin, and usually dogs 
certainly uh, they usually get bitten on the face mm-hmm. because they stick their nose down, sniffing at it, and the snake strikes and pops them. Most snake bites are non-lethal. However, uh, that would be a, uh, a judgment call based on how the snake is doing. I mean, how the dog is doing. If you have a collar on, you probably need to take the collar off so swelling won't cause it to uh, to uh, possibly choke or cut off his air breathing. But uh, I would say that uh, it would be wise in most cases to seek veterinary care just to uh, tell how bad it is and what can be done. Mm-hmm. Most of the time it involves uh, giving uh, antibiotic because of the possibility of an abscess. Otherwise, uh, antivenom is available, but it's very expensive. So mm. I would suggest that you do talk to your vet if, if your dog gets snake bitten. All right, to Frank, thanks for the call. Uh, kudos to Dr. Major. He gave that answer with a snake crawling all over his wrist. I think he's actually... He's under Dr. Major's uh, uh, Apple Watch there, so he's really... <laughs> he's checking things out. Yeah. Like I said, yeah, this one is, is really active, so he's, I hope, hopefully, and again... He likes the support. Disclaimer, right? we're saying he, but we don't know. Difficult to tell snake's gender, so we'll just use he. It could be a she, but uh, uh, he or she seems to really be enjoying themselves <laughs> in the studio here this morning. Hey, let's uh, continue on. We've got another caller, and it is Brandon, also calling from Alabama today. Good morning, Brandon. Go ahead. Good morning, guys. How are y'all? Good. I've got a question. I live on the lake, and uh, just a couple of weeks ago, my son and I were down, and there was a, a small, about three-foot brown water snake mm-hmm. that we were watching and looking at. And, of course, he wanted to get closer. I knew that it was what it was. I knew that it wasn't a muxin. Um, but the snake got really aggressive when we got closer to it, a lot more so than uh, we normally see. We see snakes quite a bit. You know, the brown water snakes are pretty ubiquitous around where we live. Mm-hmm. But the snake sort of coiled up in his defensive position, and... Uh, he lunged at us, and then he actually came forward, and I, I put my foot down to sort of keep him away from us. Uh, he bit me a couple of times. Uh, but I was just wondering, do you know, I've never encountered one that was so aggressive, um, and I was wondering, do can snakes get you know, sick like a, a, a wounded animal or something that would cause him to act like that, or was it maybe we were infringing on his territory? But like I said, we see them a lot, and I've never had one act that aggressive toward me. Okay, yeah. No, I mean, well, snakes are always going to have, you know, high defense when they're feeling threatened. Um, uh-huh. You know, so, and no matter what, you know, even though they are the same, all the same species, you know, you know, brown water snake versus a brown water snake, every snake is slightly different in their personality. Um, not greatly so, but uh, water snakes do tend to be very defensive. You know, they are non-venomous animals, so that they don't have, you know, the kind of defense that a venomous animal would. Um, so honestly, uh, whether, you know, an injured animal, absolutely. An injured snake is going to be more defensive than a non-injured snake. Um, so honestly, it was probably just, you know, y'all were getting close to him. He saw two, you know, creatures that were a hundred times his size, very warm with big mouths. And he thought he was going to get eaten. So, you know, from a perception standpoint, two giant predators were getting close to him and he thought his time was coming. So, um, does that answer your question? Absolutely. Thanks, guys. All right, Brandon, thanks for the call. Uh, Dr. Major has made a new friend here, that's for sure, because the snake now has crawled into his uh, cuff on his sleeve and is wrapped. And I guess this is 
We're talking about body heat, and they want that, but also mm. they like kind of dark, that uh, is natural behavior. Places. Absolutely, <laughs> snakes love it when three parts of their bodies are touching something at all times. He's you know, they normally are in a hole or underneath something. So when they are exposed, or if they can see the, you know, that the you know the air above them, that's when they feel the most defenseless. So being in that cuff sleeve, you know, he's got a lot of parts touching it, so he feels that danger can only come from where he can see. But yeah, he's uh, he's all coiled up there, and, and as I say, that's uh, he's he's ready to go. And uh, <laughs> the, you found a new way to carry a snake, Doctor Major. That would be <laughs> interesting. Have that's one. what he's been looking for for the last fifteen minutes. That's right. right. It's a nice dark place he's, to he's, take a nap. He's picking yeah. out though; he can see what's going on outside. Yeah. He's still aware of what's going on, but yeah, he's, he looks like he's definitely comfortable there. Uh, we've got another caller on the line, and it's Kathleen from Osaka. Good morning, Kathleen. Good morning, guys. <clears throat> I have a question about snakes. When we were talking about how to keep them under control, uh, what about guinea hens or peacocks? And, Kevin, I'm glad it's you and the doctor holding that snake because it would never be me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the safe end of this interview. <laughs> uh, peacocks for snake control, have you ever heard of that? Um, I, am not, I honestly don't know yes. much about peacocks, so I'll uh, let someone else take that. Yeah, guineas and peacocks and kind of the theory has always been that they just worry the snake to death. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. especially guineas. You know how they're so active and they... Um, Guineas they, are guineas yeah. are good alarm, yeah, alarm for anything, file, right? And they if they see a snake, you're gonna hear it. <laughs> of course they may do the same thing if a stranger comes up. <laughs> yeah. But still they operate as a pack basically. Your larger uh fowl like a peacock, you know, certainly could do some damage to a snake if a snake was mm -hmm. out there. And uh I, I guess that's you know, possible. And I've yeah. seen both peacocks and guineas run to the snake. If they mm -hmm. see a snake they'll run over there and you know, start pecking around and, and going kind of nuts. So I don't birds are a major predator of snakes. Yeah. So yeah. in theory, that yeah, they would discourage yeah. them. All it, right, it just irritates them if nothing else. Yeah. I think and they're not going to catch any food when they've got a guinea bringing attention to them. So mm -hmm. yeah. All right, Kathleen, good point. Thanks for the call. Uh, you know, that thing, uh, going back to Brandon's call, and he, you know, mentioned that they had come across a rather aggressive snake that, that not usually had seen. But, from again, from previous snake days, I remember the idea of snakes are probably of, of more afraid of us than we are of them. And so the idea is if you see one, if you just kind of back out of the way, don't Absolutely. rush at it or whatever, you should be pretty good. Yeah, the, the, what we usually say is take two steps and walk away. And nine times out of ten, when you turn around, that snake's not going to be there mm -hmm. because his predator, a.k.a. you, have left. They're pretty territorial, uh, and mm -hmm. that's probably what was happening with that water snake, I would yeah, imagine. If he had a hole near him. He was, he was telling them to get out of there. Mm -hmm. I've had, uh, we used to call them black racers. Oh, uh, yeah. I've had them actually chase the tractor for a distance when you're bush hogging uh, and that's kind of funny in a way but they will go quite a distance behind the tractor making sure you don't come back <laughs> <laughs> let's get one more call in before our next break and it goes to mitch who's in holly springs good morning mitch morning how are you guys we're doing good what do you have for us well i just wanted to uh thank you guys for having a program about snakes which is uh one of our most underappreciated specimens in the state. Uh, we've got a great diversity here, and I know Terry Vandevender is going to do a great program this weekend. He always comes to our Hummingbird Festival. But just wanted to mention, uh, we got a program coming up here in the north part of the state 
this Saturday at 10 a.m. at Strawberry Plains Audubon Center. Dr. Shannon McGee, who's a local veterinarian as well as a herpetologist, is going to be doing a program called Mississippi Snakes, uh, Fact, Fiction, and Myth, talking about the reality of what, uh, what you guys have been discussing, uh, people's fears about snakes, and that uh, they're actually one of the best things we can have around our houses if we want to keep away uh, mice and rats and different things, as well as having good snakes like king snakes, speckled king snakes, and other things, keeping out uh, venomous snakes. And on the other side of that, uh, most of the time when we do see snakes, uh, it's usually in places where we're not expecting them or more likely they're not expecting us. So next weekend, John DePazio from NRCS is going to be giving a program on animal tracks and signs. And so uh, pretty interesting way to learn about the wildlife that's around us, most of which that might be nocturnal or like snakes that tend to keep around in the early mornings or late evenings and uh, we're not going to see much of so that's coming up next weekend june 10th okay thanks mitch mitch uh, if uh, someone's interested in the programming y'all have up there what, what's a good way to find out more information easiest way is uh strawberryplains.audubon.org go to our programs uh tab or you can uh, go to our facebook page facebook.com slash strawberry plains audubon center and the number is 662-252-1155. All right, great. Mitch, thanks for the information. Good to hear from you. Let's take one final break this hour. When we get back, we're going to wrap up Snake Day on Creature Comforts with our guest, Ted Olak, biologist at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Back with more after this. you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. We're talking about snakes today with Ted Olak, a biologist with the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Snake Day is coming up at the museum this Tuesday, June 6th, starting at... 10 10 a.m. All right. So, again, uh, I went one year. It's a huge event, lots of real popular. You get to see a bunch of different snakes. And, again, I would encourage people who are interested in snakes and maybe those that are a little bit afraid of them, this is sort of a controlled environment. You get to see, learn more about them, and maybe that you'll become a little bit more comfortable around it. Because, you know, I I think extreme reactions. I don't know people, when you say snake, I don't know many people go, nah, it's either, ah, or, you know, so. Yeah, not much gray area, right, usually. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, and now remember that the two presentations, too, are at 10 and 12. Okay. So it's a good it's, idea to yeah, show up a little early if you want yeah. to yeah. yeah. Because, like I said, it was, it was jam-packed the, the year I went there. Yeah. So, and again, that's coming up at 10 o'clock this Tuesday, June 6th, at the Museum Snake Day, a big event. Uh, we've got some calls on the line. By the way, still have a little bit of time left and some open phone lines at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 
Let's go next to uh, Darlene, who's called in from Mobile today. Good morning, Darlene. Good morning. Go ahead. Oh, Lord, let me get away from my dog. <laughs> mm. Okay, I have a question. I have a male Boston Terrier, and I guess it's time for him to be uh, neutered. Is that right? Neutered? Yes. yes. Correct form? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Now, I have heard, of, instead of just taking everything out, I've heard a thing called nudicles. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. Okay. Tell me what about them, and is it a good idea or a bad idea? Personally, I've had the request several times uh, over the last two decades. Uh, they make nudicles for everything from probably small dogs to elephants, okay? <laughs> but I would say that unless you're just really, really, really uh, interested in doing that, it is a foreign material, supposedly inert, uh -huh. and you put it in to replace the testicle. I, uh -huh. I basically am opposed to that. Uh, just because it's a foreign material. And, and it might back up. On and there are things that could go bad. Oh. Okay? Mm, okay. That's my well, opinion. That's <laughs> anyway. your opinion on that. That's why I called you. Yes, ma'am. All, right. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks Bye -bye. for the call, Darlene. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Uh, before we leave uh, dogs, Dr. Major, you had mentioned earlier in the show that you wanted to bring up a canine flu. Yes, canine influenza. There's uh, a new strain or at least a strain of one that has broken out recently, I believe it started in Florida, uh, and a lot of these things occur around dog shows, uh, dog competition. Uh, AKC has put out a notice about it, and it's the N2 strain. We've been vaccinating with an N8 strain. That's N as in eight, not N8 as in, well, anyway. <laughs> uh, but there is vaccine available for these, and especially if you're traveling with your dog, or if you uh, have your dog around a lot of other dogs, it would be wise to vaccinate and get that up to date. All right. But it is canine influenza, and talk to your vet about it. Very good. Uh, let's go back to the phones. William in Starkville has a snake story for us. Go ahead, William. Yeah, I have two snake stories, as a matter of fact. Um, and I think they may be related, and I'm curious, could they, are they likely related to mating of snakes? Um, some 30 years ago, I found a piece of chartreuse, chartreuse yarn, that yellow-green yarn, about the size of a pencil and about a foot long, and I had it lying on my porch, which is just a foot above ground level. And one morning, I came out and found uh, one of our lovely little slender, slender green uh, snakes. Um, a rough green. Proximity, and so I wondered whether or not it had been. It was the same color as the yarn. I wondered if they had, it had been an attraction. Second uh, situation, we had construction here three years ago at my house, and I looked out one afternoon when the contractors were working on one side and saw a huge 40-inch, uh, 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 not a cottonmouth, but a uh, copperhead, uh, right in front of my big, uh, uh, bold windows, uh, French windows, 12 feet long. So I ran out and got a bucket and put the snake in it and carted it away, and before that anybody saw it, because I knew that the contractors would be disturbed if mm -hmm. they knew there were snakes like that around. Took it a mile away and let it go in the in the swamp, and came back and was sitting when my wife an hour later was making supper, and all of a sudden she looked across the, the room and out the window and screamed, and there was an identical-sized snake, <laughs> except this one was not quite as fat, uh, in exactly the same position. 
<laughs> and I've always wondered, uh, would they have been following one another? Uh, you can comment on it, and that's my story. All right. All right. William, good to hear from you. Well, for the first one, the rough green, you know, it's uh, probably more than likely it was a camouflage thing. You know, they tend to go towards areas that look like them because that's that's how they perfectly camouflage. They they do look like a vine, so if they can associate themselves with other green vines, it's perfect camouflage. Um, for the second one, I don't believe it was the same snake. You know, like you said, it's you know it's different thicknesses, but with the construction and everything going on, more than likely all that happened, all that you know, getting turned up, it was just multiple of them got disturbed and they were moving to a different area. Um, again, you know, is it possible that they, it was, you know, looking for an, an, a mate? Maybe, but, you know, it's a time of year thing, but more likely it was because of habitat disruption. All right. That's the reason he was thinner, because he raced home. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Came back and <laughs> All right, so we in studio have a corn snake and a rat snake. Uh, Ted, what are some other common snakes in Mississippi? So for non-venomous, um, you know, water snakes are very common. We encourage everybody to come to the museum and look at our water snake exhibit because there are so many different colors. Um, there are gray ones that, you know, people mistake for cottonmouths. Um, the rough green, like we said, that's one that, you know, not a lot of people see, but it is out there. The most common ones are being corns and uh, rat snakes. Uh, for venomous, yeah, the, the water moccasin or the cottonmouth uh, and the copperhead are going to be the most likely to be seen. Um, of course, there's the uh, smaller um, coral snake as well as the milk snake, which look a lot alike. So that's a, another one we always it has that nice poem to it. You know, red touches black, friend of Jack. Red touches yellow, kill a fellow. Um, and that's one of the things that you know we encourage people to, is to come and look and see the difference of these animals because we do have 42 in total. You should be able to recognize them and identify them, um, at least just to know that if it's you know a venomous or a non-venomous animal. All right, uh, a snake myth. M uh, milk snakes drink milk. No, no, <laughs> not, not the case. <laughs> uh, and also, I, I, we were, had that discussion about the, the coral snake, and I, I remember the poem, but I can never remember. So if you tell us for it again, maybe it will help um, old folks like me remember something. Sure. Red touches black, friend of Jack. Red touches yellow, kill a fellow. All right. And that's referring to their bands. Mm -hmm. So uh, they have those color bands along their body. And so, if one's touching the other, that's that's how you that's what you got to remember. And also, I think uh, does the shape of the head have something to do with venomous versus non-venomous? It does. Um, with the versus the coral versus the milk snake, you really just want to go by that coloration because they are so small. I don't think you want to get too close to look at the size of their head. Um, but with venomous animals, of course, they have the more triangular head. They've got pits on the back of their head that hold the venom. Um, so they're kind of raised up more. Uh, they do have the slit eyes. Uh, they don't have quite the, uh, the circular eyes. You know, if you get on the Facebook Live and, um, you know, go through all the videos, um, try to find a good shot of the eyes. You know, they've kind of got this little uh, derpy look to them. <laughs> <laughs> they have a very oval head versus a triangular head. But it's important to remember that non-venomous snakes can try to pretend to look like venomous snakes and flatten themselves out. So, All right. Hey, great show. Thank you, Ted, for being with us today. That's going to wrap us up. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funded provided in part by Wildlife Mississippi, a statewide organization celebrating its 20th year of conserving Mississippi's land, waters, and wildlife, and from contributions from listeners like you. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Sharita Brent. So for Libby Hartfield, Dr. Troy Major, and our guest Ted Olak, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned up next. It's MPB's Season Pass with Jay White. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.